Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, the podcast where we cook up a delicious blend of cybersecurity, privacy, and data protection topics to serve you a hearty bowl of insights. Whether you like your gumbo spicy with a dash of encryption or prefer a milder flavor with a side of compliance, we've got you covered. So grab a spoon, sit back, and let's dive into the pot of data protection gumbo. Here's your host, Demetrius Morgarol. Welcome back to another episode of Data Protection Gumbo. And this week I have the pleasure of speaking with Kevin Bailey, who is the chief analyst over at firm over at the firm Synergy Six Degrees. And he's also a fractional VP of strategy and technology advisor for the Cyber Resilience Center in London. And Kevin has more than three decades of technology experience covering data storage, information security, and cybersecurity from organizations such as Symantec, IDC, and BAE, Systems Applied Intelligence. So Kevin, welcome to the gumbo. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. It's great to be back here. So about a year since you and I had a chat last time. So I'm looking forward to this one. A little bit controversial, but okay. uh, that's what we're here for. We we welcome controversy on, on the gumbo. <laughs> so we, we have to throw some spicy stuff into the pot exactly. every, every once in a while for people to go grab some milk for, right? <laughs> exactly. So I apologize to all my friends at Veritas before we start just in oh, case at, at veritas i'm at veritas so we, we, so we can apologize to them <laughs> so yeah don't come after me later so so for, first talk about synergy six so synergy six is a, a go-to-market consultancy specifically for cybersecurity companies so for vendors and i've been running it coming up to four years now Decided to go out on my own, like a lot of people. For me, it was before the pandemic. So it's been good. It it allows me to get coverage across different areas of cybersecurity markets and backup and backup and security, covering everything from research, insights, go-to-market planning, right the way across organizations. So it's not just the sales or marketing teams, it's everybody that's included in in GTM activity. So um, I'm enjoying it. It's good. I've got another client I've just taken on today. Okay. Congratulations. Thank you. And yeah, hoping 2024 is as good for me as it is for you guys. All right. And we're here to dive into a, uh, I guess you can call it a traditional concept when it pertains to backing up data, making sure that your data is protected, making sure it's available and it's redundant and all of those things. And we're going to talk about the three, two, one backup strategy and whether it's still fit for purpose or not. Is that correct? That's correct. That's what we're here to address. And that was something that was on my burning list of things to do through my engagements and also because I I look at things and the way the world's changed in cyber uh, and cyber by the way is whether it's security or data protection and how things have evolved so yeah I challenge those 
sort of areas and I want to look in and, and I created a report specifically around the three two one backup policy. Okay. And why three two one? Why not AI or something else? <laughs> AI. Who's not covering AI? It's a I bit know, like right? who's not covering machine learning as it was in the past or blockchain. Three two one is there because I think everybody knows that data is the key asset for any organization. Doesn't matter right. what hardware, software, people you got. If you've got no data, you've got no business. And everybody's seen, and I don't need to list out the amount of cyber attacks where data is the end goal for those attackers. And what they're trying to achieve is maximum disruption for the organization. And it doesn't matter what size, whether it's small business or large business, yeah, maximum disruption, but also, yeah, obtaining those assets and then unfortunately in a lot of cases holding that organization to ransom because they've okay. held those assets and what happens yeah. in those. Okay. And all of the backup vendors are are using <laughs> different flavors of 321 you have 3211 you have 3 it's it's so many out there and uh, I'm trying to find out from you do you believe that backup vendors could do more to help organizations as it pertains to the number of copies that they're keeping and where they're storing these copies and also just more best practices around let's say disaster recovery yeah. And I think if you, yeah, it's always good to go back to where things started. So 321, by the way, wasn't created by a backup vendor. It was created by a photographer. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I remember that. You know, it's like 18, 19 years ago. This guy, Peter Crow, introduced it because he wanted to take photographs but didn't want to lose the originals. And we all know about. You know, people's privacy around photographs they take. And Peter came up with this evolution at time about 321. In other words, I have my original and I want to create copies of it so that if I lose the original, I've got the other stuff back. And at the time, it was great. And even myself, as a many, many years ago, as an operator, having you know, iterations and versions of 321 for disaster recovery processes, that's what you needed. But yeah. I think the big issue around this now comes is that, as we say, data is the asset for the, the organization, and that's only growing. You know, 15, 20 years ago, suddenly it was this change from, well, if I don't need the data today, let's delete it. No one deletes anything. And you have to retain the data because there could be value in it. Plus, from a backup and recovery viewpoint, you might need to go back to that recovery point um, because you want something specific out of there. So when you look at, you know, in effect, the merging of all these activities and the increase of targeting of data, when Peter first brought up 321, cyber criminals weren't to be seen yeah right like they weren't targeting that data so things have changed and mm -hmm. we know now that yeah you know, cyber security tools uh, are fallible 
you can get through malware engines because it happens. If it didn't happen, we wouldn't be seeing, for instance, all these ransomware attacks coming down. You know, so right. if they weren't fallible, yeah, then we would wouldn't have the problem. But it's that that one percent that gets through. The issue that I've got with three two one is three two one is fantastic for activities and events where you have time on your side. Disaster recovery is a timed activity in business continuity, always has been. When you're suffering an incident, you don't have time. So I want to get it back. 321, as everyone knows, is, you know, one copy on site, a copy off site, a copy on a alternative media, which tends to be immutable or tape. I'm a storage tech person, so I like tape still, which is good. But the issue comes, is 321 overkill? Because as Veeam produced in one of their reports, and I put it in my my report, you know, people target the backups, you know, understand the way the mentality of an attack is that the first thing the attacker will do is go in and do reconnaissance of the environment. First, to see if there's anything valuable. The second thing is, what have you got that's going to stop me from exploiting the full extent of what I want to do? So when you look at that, they go looking for backups, shadow copies, you know, all of these things that immaterial of what you've got into place, they will invalidate them. And, you know, everyone's seen that happening. So right. in effect, what you're left with is one of the three, two, one left over, which is the immutable or tape, because that's the only one they can't touch. Right. You know? So then you're reliant on bringing that back. Three, two, one also is predicated on the fact that if you lose the first copy, the second copy is off-site. Right. You know, it's sensible. And by the way, the immutable should be off-site. You know, it shouldn't be on-site because acts of God, you know, floods, mm-hmm. fires, things like that. If you took your right. building down, you've lost it, so it should be off-site. So if you've got two copies off-site and you get attacked, because this is what we're looking at, you get attacked, the first thing the CIO, the head of infrastructure will do is take your networks down. Right. Why? Because they want to contain the attack and they don't want other attacks coming in, you know, and that's containing it internally, stopping your third parties from getting infected. Yeah, and that's the sort of thing that they will look at. Now, remember, the other thing on this is if you got attacked and it's turned into an incident where data is the target, nine times out of ten, you don't know the attacks going on. Because all of the security tools have missed it, which yeah. means it's not going to pop up on your SIM products. You're not going to get alerts. So you are susceptible to waiting until either a user finds, I can't get access to my device or my data, or somebody finds it because they've copied it and sent it you know, on the dark web. So the world's changed from traditional 321 to what there is today. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, very insightful. And it, it makes me think about some of the other traditional terms that go, go along with 
protecting data, backing up data, recovering data. And one, so you have what three things you have recovery time objective RTO, you have recovery point objective RPO, and then you also have something that's called maximum tolerable downtime as well. And so are, are those still relevant? And w- what are your findings around, let's say, R- RTO and RPO? Well, I think the it's interesting. Your last one about maximum tolerable downtime is a really, yeah, it's almost like it's not spoken about, but it is. it fits before those RPO and RTO comes in. Because what people want today, because again, the world's changed today from what it was 321. We're in an always available environment, not always on, always available. And that's what you talk about with data. So when you look at maximum tolerable downtime, is how long can my business operate without access to the system? So you look at that and then you set your RT, RPOs and RTOs from it. That's the way that I would view it. So your risk managers, people like that would say, we can maintain a day, two days, three days, you know, whatever the number is, they're saying, we think we can survive without it. Remember, you take your networks down, that means your website's down, your activity, you can't talk to your own employees, let alone your customers. Then you get onto recovery point objective. Now, if you look at it, recovery point within 321, you're creating three copies of the same data. So in real terms, you've got four copies of the data. You've right. got real data and then three copies of it. Your RPO is key. What's my recovery point objective to bring it up? Now, if you know when you've been hit and you say, I got hit yesterday, it gives you that period to go back to. Yeah, It's different to a a normal operational event where someone's deleted data or compromised their device and you need to rebuild it, you know, you're only going back a few hours and that's where in such like can come in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But in an incident, if you're saying I need to go back two days because I think we got hit two days ago and we can work that out, you have got accessibility from your system now for that point of time across three different copies and you will execute whatever is the fastest one to bring that back normal tabletop exercises will always use either the on-site one or the one in the cloud but they'll assume your networks are available to do that yeah and that's why i always say to people when they target data, they will target your backups as well as your live data, but they'll also target Active Directory, DNS servers, things like that. Yeah, they're there to make your life a misery. So if you need to go back a period of time, RPO is exactly what you should be doing. You should still do that because RPO is driven by what's my maximum outage that I can have because it may mean you've got to go back and then do roll forwards. Yeah, that you've got in place. RTO, absolute waste of time at the moment. Yeah, sorry to say it, but (laughs) you'll see it on Mm -hmm. my report. Okay. And and like I say, I chose two vendors, totally at random. I chose a, let's call it a natural cloud SaaS vendor, begins with Jeff Bezos. And (laughs) 
and another one that's green. Okay. The only reason I chose those two, it was just, I sat and thought, right, both of them provide in this market. One of them is a leader in this market. And they outwardly talk about incidents where backup recovery is required. They're anti-ransomware, stuff like this. Right. That's great. But when you buy a backup product, I'd love to know how many times the organization that's buying it has been asked by the vendor, what's your bandwidth that you've got? Okay. So on-site, not a problem. I can do it local. Everything goes in. Now, most of the on-site vendors' chats that I hear and I go looking on the boards they talk about a 100 megabit transfer rate sustained. Now, we need to get something right here. And, and this is probably a good thing for salespeople that are listening. Megabyte and megabit are two different things. <laughs> Never mix the two up. A lot. <laughs> yeah. One is one eighth of the other one. So if I'm pushing at 100 megabits a second, yeah, I've got an eighth of what I may tell inadvertently to a customer. Now, Jeff Bezos' company, they give you 51 megabits a second as standard. That's it. That's all you get. So I worked out through the analysis that if I've got, and I use five terabytes as standard, so that's my day one. I worked out over a year, you could accumulate 207 terabytes of backup data using the 321. Okay. That immediately sets alarm bells off. I know storage is cheap. Yeah. You know, remember, I sold it at storage tech for two pounds a megabyte. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, yeah, you know, two okay. and a half yeah. pounds a megabyte. You know, look, every salesman would love that today. But it's not that, it's cheap. But you've got to manage it. You've got to make sure everything's in place. Has the backup worked? Is it recoverable? All of these sort of things. So with recovery time, I achieved with a 100 megabit system to get 200 gigabytes of my data back in five hours through a 100 megabit bandwidth. With the Jeff Bezos version, I obviously got half of that because it's half the bandwidth. This is the issue with recovery time. I want my data back because you told me it's instant recovery, but you didn't put in the clause, not if I don't have access to the data or my primary has been deleted. That's the thing that people ask me today, and I'm writing mm-hmm. a report about it at the moment okay, specifically for it. So if I want to get uh, the 100 megabit a second to give me my data back in five hours, I need to put a two gigabit a second networking. Yeah. But remember one thing, if I'm on attack and my IT network admin has opened up a channel for me to move data, I'm not the only one on that bandwidth. Right. There's other people moving stuff. So I'm assuming you get the two gigabit and I can probably get the data back in about five and a half hours sustained, assuming you're going to a single device. Let's just say that for ease. And by the way, this doesn't, yeah, anything include different application types, different type of NAS devices, yeah, yeah, or even immutable. For me to do the on-site version, 
I worked out it'll cost me about 26,000 bucks for 100 devices, five terabytes, moving that data. If I've got to up it to a two gigabit system to do that, it suddenly turns into about $130,000. Yeah. Yeah. Dropping the bucket, right? Yeah. Not including immutable still. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I went off and looked at immutable from those, and they everyone proclaims they cover it, but it's their chosen supplier. I went off and looked at Wasabi. Wasabi will give me my immutable storage for about 5,000 bucks a year, you know, nice and cheap. If I go to Jeff's company and try and get a recovery time objective where I want to move it at across the bandwidth and meet that five-hour time window, I would need to add the equivalent that I said for the first one to get up to a two gigabit. But the difference is with AWS, as it is, they charge me six bucks a month per one megabit a second that I've got to buy up front. So to do that, I need 39 times what is in place. Wow. Yeah. When AWS started and I calculated, it was about ten and a half thousand bucks to do my hundred devices, five terabyte. I thought that's not bad. That's what cloud should give me. Yeah. But what it ended up with is $193,000 to move that data back. And that's why the recovery time, unless you've got a bolstered infrastructure in place, you're not going to get the data back. Backing it up is not that much of a problem because you pick a window. Yes, the data's grown. You need better efficiencies and stuff. Mm-hmm, and I know mm-hmm. backup reply, uh, providers do all the good things. You know, They make sure they're only backing up the right data. They make sure they clean it so there's no malware. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All of those things are great. But what you've not done, and I talk about it from a, a backup recovery vendor's viewpoint, You've not closed the gap between the security tools have been evaded and I need to do a recovery. There is a gap in the middle that says, as a cyber actor, I've got full carte blanche to go in there and abuse your data. Something needs to come in to look after active data and protect that. Not after the fact, because when anyone says I'm anti-ransomware and... Yeah, I hear that from all the backup uh, recovery vendors. You're not. What you're talking about is you have immutable storage capability that says the attacker cannot get into my backup. You are setting the market incorrectly because of, yeah, any good data manager in an organization will go, great, you're anti-ransomware. You're going to stop them from attacking my data. No, I'm not. Yeah. And Kevin, let's begin to wrap up here. Uh, Maybe a final question. If someone doesn't have an opportunity to read your report, maybe they can't afford it, or I don't know what the case may be. If it's free or is it paid? What's the major takeaway from all of your research and the information that's in your your research report? There is one, all my research is free. Oh, okay. Go to my website, www.synergy6d.com, or look for me and you'll find my website. You'll find it on the results pages. 
you can download it. I don't gate my reports. Okay. So the takeaway from this is there are technologies that can work with backup recovery vendors to protect the active data. We're not talking about anything to do with CrowdStrike, Sentinel-1, all of those Mm -hmm. products. We're talking about something that helps to protect the active data and recover it a lot faster. RTO, that thing is essential. But it doesn't mean that backup recovery vendors are pushed out. It's a combination of the two. Right. Anybody wants to reach out to me, I'll take you through what it is. And, you know, you'll read it in the report. I put an example in the report. It's there. So it's a positive for the backup vendors, but it's a wake-up call to say you need to come closer, you know, mm. to the playing field. Don't sit out there. Yeah. And, and be explicit with your marketing messages. And what, what do you just we have to we have to do AI, right? So we <laughs> have to do AI. AI. Who's going to win the race? Bad guys or good guys? They won't be. It'll be a, a zero-sum game. Mm. They, yeah, bad guys have got more money, more resources, as we all know, than everyone else. Yeah. But the good guys have got the same as well. It's no different to the playing field we're in today. As we advance, they advance. They talk about quantum computers, you know, and and I see stuff on judging the Mobile World Congress Awards at the moment. And a lot of stuff around quantum encryption is coming down and, and discussing about that. AI is there. My view on AI is always, AI will never take over the world because AI doesn't have a conscience. Yeah, Not sentient. It, exactly. <laughs> and, and that's the thing. So we will advance. Everything we advance as the good guys the bad guys will advance because that's how they learn. And then they advance and we learn from them. That's how the security game works. There'll be plenty of positives. There'll be negatives. And that's what the government's trying to do with putting controls and regulations around how it should be done. And I think that that's that's a good thing to do because it is a major advance for different industries. But it's a zero-sum game. No one's ever going to win or lose out of this. There'll be something else in five years' time that will change our minds, you know. Yeah, so. maybe it's going to be this this VR headset or something <laughs> that, that Apple is pushing. And I just read where there is a, I think, 502-gigabyte version or one-terabyte version. And it's like, okay, that that's a no-brainer. But what's the price difference between the, the two, right? Yeah. So. Uh, I think you've got to look into these and what we're doing with AI today is no different to what we did with Second Life a few years ago, you know, mm. that metaverse between reality and not. And, you know, you've got law enforcement com- uh, organisations looking into this. I know there's cases around the world and there is in the UK with things that are happening in the metaverse, i.e. in AI, that is affecting individuals. So I think A will come and will be good, but it's got to be very aware of the effect it has on individuals who, you know, those susceptible will live in that world. And we need to make sure they understand the difference between reality and what is in effect fictitious. You can make it up. So yeah, yeah. 
in security, we've done it for a long time. We've done machine learning, deep learning. That's how you build AI systems that everyone talks about to stop the bad guys. Well, they do the same thing to try and get around us, you know, so. Yeah, and I always talk about the movie Ready Player One, which is a very powerful movie. And I think they shoot it in the year 2030 or something like that. And it's like, you know, 30, 40 years in the future. Where do you think technology would be? Thank you again for being a guest on the show. Also, make sure that we maybe provide a link to all the Gumbo listeners for the uh, fantastic report that you wrote. I had an opportunity to read it and definitely learned a, a thing or two as well. And also, I want to let everyone know about the Backup and Recovery Professionals group that we run on LinkedIn. There's over 22 or 23,000. Like-minded professionals, cybersecurity, storage, backup recovery, the list goes on. So be sure to join the group as well and also check the podcast out on all of your, your major channels. We are on YouTube as well. So, Kevin, thank you again for being a guest on Data Protection Gumbo. Pleasure. Thank you very much indeed, Demetrius. And uh, goodbye to all my friends out there and enjoy the report. It's a good read.